So do, do you know the name Marcus Person? Mo, most of you probably don't. Uh, even though he's a billionaire, made a lot of money, um, he's the one that outbid uh, Jay-Z and Beyonce for this house in Beverly Hills overlooking Los Angeles and Malibu on the hillside. Uh, you can see it above you. Uh, that's his house. Spent $70 million for it, paid for it all in cash. What a man. You may not know his name, but you know his game. His game is Minecraft. He invented Minecraft. And in 2009, Minecraft was downloaded over 100 million times. He later sold the company to Microsoft for $2.6 billion. You might say he has everything anyone could ever want. But here's the problem. Person is one of the most miserable people you will ever meet in your entire life. Look at what he says through Twitter. He says this. The problem with getting everything is you run out of reasons to keep trying. And human interaction becomes impossible due to the imbalance in your life. 36 years old, has everything in the world. He goes on to say, I have never felt so isolated in my entire life than when I am out partying with the richest and most famous people in the entire world. I ask you this question this morning. Have you ever wished for more? Have you ever thought that maybe God owed you a little bit more than what you've been given? Have you ever thought that maybe a bigger house or a nicer car or more material blessings might make you happy? How much would it take to make you happy? Well, chances are, God can give you every desire your heart has ever longed for, and you're still going to end up where this guy ended up. You're going to end up lonely, and your soul's going to be unhappy and broken. Jesus said it best when he said this in Matthew chapter 16. He said, For what would it profit a man to gain the entire world and yet forfeit his soul. And then he said this, or what can a man give in return for his soul? You see, Jesus is outlining two different people, right? There are takers who constantly want more and more and more and more in order to be happy, and there are givers, people who are satisfied with what God has given them here and now, and though they may not have everything they've ever dreamed of, they live constantly in praise and thanksgiving for all that God has given them. Are you a taker or are you a giver? Think in your mind. Do you constantly think of, if God just gave me X, then I would be happy? Or do you say, God, I may not have everything, but I love you. And I want to give generously back to you the things that are truly yours, your blessings. Because for the next few weeks, we're going to consider returning to God. You see the hand of God before you on the screen, return to me. And we're going to be looking at the Old Testament prophet, Malachi. And he is the first Hebrew-Italian prophet. You may know him. And, and as a response to the sermon today, we're going to rise and sing a rousing rendition of that Samore in our best Italian accents, okay? No, not really. I don't even have an Italian accent. But, but that's amore is very appropriate, right? That's love. 
That's love. Because that's what the book is about. It's about amore. It's about what God has given to you and your rightful response to the love of God in your life. Becoming givers, not takers. And that's what worship's all about. And today's, today's sermon is really about worship. It's about worship. Because in order to worship, it means to give, to love, to show service to God, to serve other people in his name. It's not about receiving there's a church in North Myrtle Beach who put on their little card, worship experiences at 9 and 11. They come to experience, to receive, to get. Give me more stuff, God. We come to a worship service. We give of ourselves, our souls, and our bodies in worship. That's what the Anglican Church has always stood for. The next slide is St. Francis's prayer. He said, it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying to ourself that we are reborn to eternal life. It's all about giving. Christians find their significance not in taking, because that leads you to where Marcus Person ended up with your soul, but in giving back your best to God. You've seen the bumper sticker, born to shop? Well, that's not Christian. We're born to give. God designed us that way. And at the heart of our giving is honest worship. So the title of my sermon today is God's Love and Honest Worship. And if you have your Bibles, I want to look briefly at Malachi chapter 1 as we discuss God's love and honest worship. Because in Malachi chapter 1, the background's this. The people have returned from the Babylonian exile they're back in their homelands. They've rebuilt the temple. They're worshiping the Lord and the beauty of holiness again. But something's wrong. Their hearts are not right. In fact, there is something so messed up about their worship that God is reaching down to them in Malachi and bringing them back to honest worship, true and laudable worship of the Most High God. In other words, you could say that the book of Malachi is like a GPS. Have you ever gone down the road and, and you're going towards that destination and you get off track somehow and your GPS says rerouting, rerouting and then that annoying voice comes on over the speakers that says turn around when possible, turn around when possible. Well that's what Malachi is all about. God reaching down and saying turn around when possible. Return to God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. I want to start by making three observations in the book of Malachi. Uh, the first one is about the giver of the message. So, so look at chapter 1, verse 1, and look at the giver. It says, The oracle of the Lord, of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Malachi means messenger, okay? So this, what we're about to read, is the divine word of God come through his messenger, the prophet Malachi, to his beloved people, the people of Israel. So it's to you and to me, straight from God. The second thing you'll notice is verse 2. Who does it come from? It comes from a God of love. He says this to his people. The first thing out of his mouth is, I have loved you. I've loved you. 
God loves you. Everybody in this church today, God loves you. So this is a love letter sent by God through the prophet to his people saying, I love you. But the people have not behaved as though they were loved by God. And that's the whole reason for the GPS, rerouting, turn around if possible. Because look at the second half of verse 2. The people respond, how have you loved us, God? How have you loved us? Now that may not seem like much, but what they're doing is putting God's goodness on trial. They are questioning God's providential grace. They are saying, you haven't given us enough, God. They're takers. They're not givers. They're not appreciative of what God's done. How have you loved us, they say. Well, God responds by saying, it's my grace. Now, grace is an important word for us all to understand. It is God's unmerited favor towards his people. He's given us all grace. Look at verses 2 and 3, and you'll see grace. And I'll have to unpack it for you. But God says, is not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated Now, what's all that business about hating Esau? Why would God hate anyone? Well, here's the deal. If you'll remember back to the story, there's a promise line through which the Messiah would come and redeem all of Israel. And Isaac stands in that line of redemption, and he has two boys. One is is Jacob, and one is Esau. Now, Esau is like me. He's a hairy man, okay? In fact, the word Esau means hairy man. He likes to hunt and to fish. He likes to go home after church and watch the bears on TV and drink a beer. He is the favorite son of his father Isaac, and he deserves God's blessing. He deserves the lineage and heritage of God to be passed through him, right? Now, his brother Jacob, he is a wuss. He is a mama's boy. He's a lying, cheating conniver. His name means supplanter or stealer of God's blessings. He stays in the kitchen with mama. He knits and crochets and spends too much time fixing his hair in the morning before school. Jacob, he's a cheat. He's a liar. He's a conniving little brat. And you know what God is saying? He's saying, which one deserves my blessing? He says, Esau, of course, right? I mean, he's the tough guy. He's the one that deserves, he's the oldest son. The oldest son always got the blessing. And yet I have chosen Jacob. You see, that's all about grace. None of us deserves God's blessings. Everything that we've been given is a gift of grace from a loving God And so in verse 3 today, when it says God hated Esau, what he's actually saying is, I've rejected Esau. By worldly standards, this is the guy that should have gotten the blessing, but I gave it to his brother who didn't deserve it. And that's the definition of grace. God's unmerited favor toward his people. And yet his people respond, how have you loved us, God? How have you loved us? And God said, I gave you grace. I loved you in spite of yourselves. In other words, it's God's sheer divine choice that is his love for his people. You want to know how I love you? I chose you. 
Now, I'm the child of, a, uh, of an adoption. I don't know my birth parents, but I know my adopted parents. And one thing that they said to me in my adoption is they said, uh, anybody can have a baby. And God gives them what he gives them. But he said the diff- they said the difference with you is that we chose you. We went after you. We pursued you. You were chosen by the Jeffords. That's always stuck with me. What a divine message of grace that is. And that's what God's saying. You didn't deserve it. God chose you. You're not morally upstanding. You're not attractive. You're not lovely. You're not pure. You're a stealer of birthrights by descent. And yet God loved you as his sons and daughters. And you bunch of spoiled brats. You ask me, how have I loved you? You see the problem? You see why Malachi, the word, has to reroute them this morning? Because they had forgotten how blessed they are before God. In other words, they've forgotten divine election. They've forgotten about God's grace. They've forgotten about God's love, his fatherly care for them. They've forgotten how blessed they are. Now, we are now sitting here as the inheritors of that same grace. It says in Romans chapter 8, and you'll see it above you just in a second, that you are now adopted by sheer grace alone. It says this, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we are able to cry out, Abba, Father. That word Abba means not only daddy, but dada, dada, we sit on your lap of grace And the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are, in fact, children of God. And if children, then we're heirs of the promise. Remember who the promise came through? Not through Esau, but through Jacob. We're heirs and recipients of God's grace. Now we are the loved ones of God. We are the elect of God. We are the people who stand and worship before the holy God this morning, and we don't deserve a single thing that we've been given. If you're a believer in this church this morning, you're part of that elect. Perhaps you hadn't gotten the Christian gospel yet. Perhaps you came here this morning and you just have a seed of faith in your heart. Perhaps God's just drawing your heart out little by little to maybe want to walk with him more and more and more. Well, guess what? Chances are you're part of the elect, elected by grace. And God is wooing you into his covenant family even now. And so today, you should give thanks with honest worship. And folks, it's not because you're nice or cute or holy or poor or rich or Democrat or Republican. It's nothing that you have done. It's simply that God has chosen you. And that's what grace is all about. Now, here's the deal. Here's the people's response to God's loving, grace-filled election. Look at verse 6 of Malachi this morning. God says to his people, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I then am your father, where's my honor? If I am your master, where's my fear, says the Lord of hosts. O priest, you despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You see, they have no appreciation for what God has done for them. None whatsoever. They despised his name. Now, how did they do that? Well, turn with me to verse 7. 
How have we despised your name, they ask? In verse 8, it's clear. When you offer blind animals in sacrifice, is that not evil, God says? And when you offer those lame or sick, is that not evil, God says? You've despised my table. In verse 13, it says that the priests were even accepting sacrifices at the altar of God that had been stolen and taken by violence. They didn't even run a background check. I mean, the pawn shop does a better job than that. People steal a goat out of somebody else's yard and present it to the Holy Lord and say, here you are, God. What are they doing? What are they doing? They're offering their seconds to God. They're giving their half-hearted offerings to the most holy God. They're bringing into God's holy temple blemished lambs, not their finest goats. They're not bringing in the very best of their flock. They're bringing God their leftovers, the things that they didn't care about, the things that they didn't want. They held back for themselves. Why? Because they're takers and not givers. They weren't willing to worship God with their finest. They gave God their leftovers. And if you look at verse 10, you'll see that how God responds to people who give their leftovers in worship. He says, oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors. That's the doors of the temple. Shut the church's doors, that you may never again kindle fire on my altar in vain. God is saying, if you come into worship with a half-hearted attitude, If you're not willing to give him yourself, your soul, your body, in praise and honor to him, if you're going to go through the motions, it's better we shut the church door and go home this very moment. In verse 13, he says, why? He says, because worship's become weary to you. You've become weary in your heart. You're no longer amazed at God's grace and filled with God's love and given a fire and a passion to worship the God in holiness that you serve. You don't have it in you anymore. You're going through the motions. Some people in the business world say that you're just in it for a paycheck. You're just in it for a paycheck. I wonder how many of us do the same. I'm going to bring it down to your level now. How many of us do the same? How many of us are like those Israelites who've offered blemished sacrifices to the Lord? Because here's the deal. In John chapter 3, verse 16, here's what God's given to us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Remember what Jesus said in the beginning. What can you give in return for your soul? That's the heart of worship. If you believe the gospel that's before you today, that God gave everything for you, What will you give in return for your salvation? And how many of us come to the church and it's just the same old, same old, just another rainy morning, just another long-winded preacher, just some worship songs and the music team doing a great job in front of us, and yet why should we sing? We'll just sit back, relax, we'll let them sing, we'll let somebody else say the amens, We'll let somebody else take the sacraments in purity and honest worship. You see, Anglicans don't believe that. We believe that you should be involved in worship. Worship is that time when the the roof of the church is blown off and God looks down from heaven. And for us, the audience is not the congregation, 
It's God himself in heaven. And he looks at our offerings, ourselves, our souls, and our bodies. And he wonders, what will you give in honest worship today? So that's my question to you. Has your worship become half-hearted? Have your gifts become polluted? Do you give? Do you write the last check of the month to God or the first check of the month to God? Because if you wait around and see what's in the bank account at the end of the day, then what you're doing is giving a polluted offering. You're actually giving God your leftovers. If you come into church and just sort of go through the motion, what are you doing? You're giving God your leftovers. But remember what St. Francis said, we're to be givers, not takers. He said, he said, it's better to give than receive, Jesus said. We're about giving back to God the honor due his name. We're born to be those people. So, are you giving God everything you have? Because if you're a taker, if you're just holding back for yourself, your soul's going to end up in the same per- place Marcus Person's soul is. Jesus said, what would it profit a man to give to receive the whole world? yet forfeit his soul. But what would you give back for the redemption of your soul? You see, that's what Jesus says in this next slide. What would a man give in return for his soul? That's where honest worship begins. So think about that in your heart. Think about that in your soul. This past July, my middle son Davis and I went to Haiti. And I'm going to end with a sermon response, and I want you to think about this. In Haiti, the average income is $300 a person for an entire year. They have nothing. At one of the poorest uh, cities or towns in Haiti called Crochu, they just dedicated a church that Davis and I happened to be at, and we were there for the worship service. They had an offering that day that was 18 minutes long. These Haitian people had joy on their faces and joy in their hearts, and they danced down the aisle for 18 minutes as they rendered their offerings to God. And I'm sitting behind the altar, and there's a chicken under the altar, and there's a goat under the altar, and there are pineapples and bananas and all sorts of offerings. And I asked their priest afterwards, I said, Pere Val, Are all your offerings to the Lord this grandiose and wonderful and and generous in nature? And he said, Father Tripp, you do not understand. He said, these people have nothing. What they've given today is everything that they have back in honor and love to the Most High God. As a priest, every time I watch this video clip, I'm captivated by it because I'm humbled by it. And I realize that I don't give myself and my soul fully to God every Sunday morning. And I want you to think about your offering. Are you offering your honest worship to God every Sunday morning? Yourself, your soul, and your body. All that you have. Not your leftovers, but your first fruits. Because in the ancient world, what happened was, a farmer would give the first 10% of his crop. And he would trust that God would bless him with the rest He may have the locusts come and swarm. He may have a drought that comes and he can't provide for his family. But by golly, he was going to give unto the Lord that which cost him something. He was going to sacrifice. Do you worship the Lord honestly? Here's a picture of what that looks like from a people who have absolutely nothing. Think about your commitment in light of their offering.